You are listening to African Perspectives with host Brother Oshie on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. You better 
Listening to African Perspectives, where we review the issues of our day from an African worldview and African centered perspective. This program is unapologetically African. It is a custom in the African tradition to ask elders for permission to speak, having been granted permission to our ancestors whose shoulders we stand on, to our elders whose shadows we walk in. I greet you, my dear brothers and sisters. In the language of one of the greatest civilizations on this planet, it gave the world the basic disciplines of knowledge of science, math, architecture, music, writing, law, religion, you name it, we did it. The Greeks called it Egypt, but they called themselves Kemet, and Kemet means land of the blacks. I greet you all in the Kemetic language, the word of peace, Hotep. It is truly an honor and a privilege to pour libation because we truly do stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. We're going to use water because water has no enemies. Water is the great cleanser, the great purifier. Everything on the planet that lives, it needs water from a tiny microscopic organism to a tall redwood tree. We pour water into the earth to invoke the spirits of our ancestors and we say the word ashe, which simply means so be it. So we pour this libation to God for all that God has done and for all that God will do. We sashay. We pour this libation to Mother Africa, birthplace of all humanity, everyone who has lived, everyone who will live in the future. We all have a common ancestral root in Africa. We pour this libation to the classical civilizations of Africa. I mentioned Kemet in the opening. Kemet was the height, the apex, the zenith of African high culture. But there were others as well, as Tymeri, Punt, and Nubia. So we poured a libation to the classical civilizations of Africa. 
You say, Ashe? We poured us libation to the contemporary civilizations of Africa, of Ghana, Mali, Zangai, Benin, Great Zimbabwe, civilizations that were flourishing and growing while Europe was in a medieval or dark age. The University of Sankare at Timbuktu, an outstanding educational institution. So we poured us libation to the contemporary civilizations of Africa. We say, Ashe? We poured us libation to the Ma'afa, the holocaust of our enslavement, the Infakani, the great tragedy, uprooted out of Africa. Our brothers and sisters lay a carpet along the Atlantic Ocean. We're in North America, South America, Central America, and throughout the diaspora. So we poured us libation to our brothers and sisters who suffered the Ma'afa, the Infakani, the holocaust of our enslavement, the great tragedy. We poured us libation in their honor and in their memory. We do not know their names, but because of them and their sacrifice, we are here. So we sashay. We poured us libation to those who fought against enslavement. If you ever heard me do a libation, you will know that we were not slaves. I repeat, we were not slaves. We were captives. What does a captive want to do? Get free. So we poured us libation to all those men and women who fought against enslavement. In fact, I maintain that some of us are more of a slave today than we were in our initial captivity because some of us are a slave to vice, to corruption, to drugs, sex, and violence. So we poured us libation to those who fought against enslavement. Gabriel Prosser, Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, Harriet Tutman. We always resisted. And we will always resist. So we poured us libation in the name and the honor of those men and women who fought against our captivity. We poured us libation to those unborn, those young men and women who will once again lead us back on the stage of human history as a free and proud and productive people. We sashay. We poured us libation to brotherhood and sisterhood together for the union of family. We need each other. We don't have good family life. There's a saying, conditions shape conduct and consciousness. The conditions in our community are bad. The conduct towards each other is not good. Because why? We lack consciousness. And consciousness is more than just awareness. Consciousness is a deeper understanding of who you are historically, who you are culturally. So once we begin to understand the importance of brotherhood and sisterhood together for the union of family. Brothers and sisters, let us all say, Ashe, Ashe. You are listening ashe. to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. Good morning, African world. You are listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on timeforanawakening.com and blacktalkradionetwork.com. And I am your host, Baba Oshi Hotel Family. Hope everything is well for you today. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you had a chance to do all the things you want to do, should do, must do, can do, and will do. And I hope that the... Uh, Weather was accommodating for you to do it, but of course if it wasn't, and because your will is strong enough to get get over whatever obstacles that are put in your path, you got it done. 
We appreciate you for it. Right on. You're listening to African Perspectives, and we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., 10 to 12 Central, 9 to 11 Mountain, or 8 to 10 Pacific, or any other time around the world. But if you cannot listen to this program live, you can always go to our archives at timeforanawakening.com. At the top of the page, you'll see podcasts. Click on that. To drop down, you'll see African Perspectives. Click on that, and there will be programs that are dated and titled. But you can use the shortcut. Just whatever search engine you use, Firefox, Google, whatever. Put in babaoshi.net, B-A-B-A-O-S-H-I.net, babaoshi.net. And once again, there will be programs that are dated and titled. Other programming we have here on Time for an Awakening Media. This is the only program right now on Mondays. And um, other programs may be coming back. They're on hiatus. But on Tuesdays, Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers from 8 to 10 on Tuesdays. On Thursdays, Mississippi on the move, the Black Liberation Movement, Mississippi on the move from 7 to 8 p.m. on Thursdays. On Fridays, if it's Friday and it's 8 p.m., it's time for an awakening with Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. On Saturday, from 7 to 9, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., the Sankofa Elders Council. On Sunday at 7 p.m., once again, it's time for an awakening with Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. And the number to call is 215-490-9832, 215-490-9832. We Buy Black. We Buy Black, the largest online marketplace for American-African-owned businesses, is webuyblack.com. Get everything you need from american african own businesses from webuyblack.com Africa for the Africans Brother Bomani, Brother Bomani Tayemba is ready to take another group of our brothers and sisters to the motherland like he has done so many times I believe he said over 400 of us because he started doing this I think in 2006 and his um, itinerary upcoming November 17th through the 28th this year, $4,000, Tanzania. December 24th to January 5th of 2023, $4,000, Ghana. March 30th to March 10th, excuse me, March 30th to March 10th, March 30th to April 10th, $3,800, Senegal and Gambia. May 24th to June 5th, 2023, $4,000, Ghana. July 20th to July 30th, 2023, $4,000, Rwanda. November 16th to November 27th, 2023, $4,000, once again to Tanzania. December 24th to January 4th, 2024, $4,200, South Africa. March 29th to April 9th, 2024, $3,800, $3,800, Liberia. And, uh, oh, I thought there was another one. But, brothers and sisters, go to the website, AfricaForTheAfricans.org. Everything you need is right there. All the quest paperwork and visas and shots to be taken and so forth. Everything is there to help you have a trip of a lifetime. You don't have to go to the ones I just mentioned. You may just want to go on your own, but you need this information. So the first place you should go if you really want to go to Africa 
is Africa for the Africans.org. Brothers and sisters, if you want to see tri- pictures of previous tours, pictures, go to facebook.com forward slash Bomani. If you want to see videos, go to youtube.com forward slash Bomani 2007. Brothers and sisters, Brother Bomani Tayemba, Africa for the Africans.org. Habasha, Habasha Incorporated.org. Once again, the Kashi Project is happening next month, very soon, October 15th. October 15th. And uh, it's going to be happening in Ghana. They're going to unveil the, the Kashi Project. I mean, it looks great. You know, go go to the website. Hit on it for yourself and see what you, what these brothers and sisters have done and what they're talking about doing. Once again, HabashaIncorporated.org. Habasha. The Ledge Program Land for the Environmental Development for Group Economics. The Ledge Program. Brothers and sisters, my good brother. <laughs> brother Peter Brown, outstanding and outstanding man, I tell you. Ledge Land for the Environmental Development for Group Economics. They deal in the four areas of human existence. You need food. You need water. You need clothing. You need shelter. They have 12 projects in six different countries with over 170 employees and over 260 members. Become a member of the Ledge Group family. Ledge. Abibiatumi. Abibiatumi. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I dot com. Abibiatumi dot com. And the Comedic New University. Community. Brothers, go online and make that a favorite and you also can listen to this program through Bibi Atumi. So I'm telling you, Smy Pharmacy, Smy Pharmacy, S M A I. I'm sorry, S M A I F A R M A C Y. Smy Pharmacy at Gmail. If you want to call um, my good brother. Jabril, give him a call at 731 327 6229 and uh, there you go Brother Moses West the Moses West Foundation MosesWestFoundation.org the work he's about to do in uh, Jackson, Mississippi he's got that water machine uh, retooled to go to Jackson you know so go to Moses West Foundation Atmospheric Water Generator a W G A W G Okay. The A W just remember atmosphere water generator A W G. Okay, what did I do here? Oh no. Okay. Yeah. Wadada's Healthy Market and Juice Bar located here in the West End. Uh, I'm Ralph David Abernathy. Down the street from where I live. I live on Cascade because Abernathy makes a a right turn going towards MLK and Cascade begins there and goes straight out west straight out west going towards 
I-285, old Atlanta money. That's right. <laughs> Maynard Jackson, Benjamin E. Mays, all those good brothers and sisters that laid the foundation. Andy Young, yep, here in Atlanta. Wadada's Healthy Market and Juice Bar on Abernathy, delicious smoothies and fruit drinks, selling vegan food on uh, Saturday and Sunday. It's located right across the street from the so vegetarian restaurant up the street from the Shrine of the Black Madonna. And they have a wealth of stuff at, at Wadada's. All right. The Medu Bookstore in the Greenbrier Mall. Give Mama Nia a call at 404-346-3263. 404-346-3263. She has a fine selection of books, postcards, greeting cards, T-shirts, figurines, you name it. She has it. Give her a call. Because if she's you're looking for a book and she says she had it. Go get it. If you're not, she'll get it for you. The other bookstore we promote as well is Black Dot Cultural Center and Bookstore and Coffee Bar in Lithonia. That's right. Give Brother Kazimde, Kazimde Achamu a call at 770-305-6373. 770-305-6373. There is light in the Black Dot. Now, the Black Dot is east of Atlanta off of I-20 going east. And you just take one more exit east from the exit for Black Dot and you get off. That's Turner Hill Road, exit 75, Turner Hill Road. Make a right, three lights, make another right, and there will be on the left is the new Black Wall Street Market. The new Black Wall Street Market. Us lifting us to economic development cooperative for our people in the spirit of Ujama. Us lifting us. That Thursday night broadcast every Thursday night on Blog Talk Radio. That's Blog Talk radio.com forward slash ULU us lifting us every Thursday night the Thursday night broadcast begins at 9 ends at 10 from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. and uh, if you want to call to listen or to give questions comments or concerns dial 929-477-2789 that's 929-477-2789 us lifting us Homeland Village, cultural gift shop, and so much more. They're open Tuesday through Sunday from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. They're in Macon, Georgia, 2910 Napier Avenue in Macon. Give Brother BJ a call at 478-256-1166, 478-256-1166. The Homeland Village and Cultural Gift Shop in Macon. Sun Goddess Sense. Sun Goddess Sense, your one-stop natural shop located at 4140 Jonesboro Road in Forest Park, Georgia. Inside the International Discount Mall, Booth 225. Give my sister Shelly Amonset a call at 404-434-7963. 404-434-7963. Sun Goddess Sense, your one-stop natural shop. Sanjay Dash Aidi, the work that Sister Gabriela Aurelia is doing. Sister Gabby is phenomenal. Go online to Sanji, S-O-N-J-E-Dash-I-E-T-A-Y-I-T-I.org. Sanjay-I-E-T.org. Yeah, I tell you. Ah, Baba Baruti and Nenia, they're welcoming a new grandchild. Congratulations to Baba Baruti and Mama Nenia Baruti for a new Edition, I think he said the seventh one, I believe. Right on. But brothers and sisters, I cannot tell you how important the work, and you know it, 
that they are doing, the sacrifice they have made. You know, so brothers and sisters, go to PayPal or Cash App, send them some money. Dollar sign, Yah, Y-A-A, the letter M, then Baruti, B-R-U-T-I. Also to buy their books at Akabenhouse.com, Akabenhouse.com. And of course, uh, the Kibuka is coming up November 19th. The 17th annual Kibuka, remembering the middle passage through the eyes of our ancestors. It's November 19th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Live here in Atlanta at Sweetwater, located at 675 Metropolitan Parkway. Sweet, the sweet spot, the Sweetwater, the sweet spot. You know, okay? And there's other uh, things that we can talk about about the Barutis. Yeah, well, one thing is the Enye Sesim of Daily Revolutionary Thought. The Enye Sesim, September 25th. Somewhere in the annals of European literature, someone wrote that ignorance is bliss, but in the ancient record of African philosophy is the belief that ignorance is sinful. Brother Anthony Browder. At what point in our relationships with chaotic, psychopathic liars do we start to believe them or their, or their syncopants? At what point do we come to accept something that normatively characterizes them, which they have been working so hard to universalize, i.e. project onto others, as normally in characterizing us? One of these ludicrous fictions argues that homosexuals are closer to the creator than heterosexuals. Supposedly, the higher a human energy vibrates, the closer he or she is to the spirit. And homosexuals are said to vibrate at higher levels than the average individual, or rather, a strictly heterosexual individual because it is positioned that they are more in tune with their male and female sides. Therefore, homosexuals are closer to the creator than heterosexuals. This would imply that the Greeks and the Romans, arrogantly homosexual, were closer to the creator than the Africans. Everyone recorded as being more spiritual than any other people. I mean, repeat that Africans, everyone recorded from ancient times to present are being more spiritual than any other people. We should be able to see that through even in entertain this nonsense is to promote the bare, the bold-faced, bare-faced, bold-faced lie of our ancestors' intellectual and spiritual inferiority. Affirm, I equate ignorance with sinfulness. Affirm, I equate ignorance with sinfulness. February 26. How, how is what I'm doing and preparing to do going to help with re-Africanization of African people. Dr. Kamal Kambon and Dr. Kamal used to listen to this program all the time. And he, he is in Ghana now with his wife and their daughter, the Taki Kambon. But I appreciate Brother Kamal. He introduced many people to this radio program and I thank him very much. Sante Sana, my dear brother. Madasi. 
We realize that no one is perfect, but we also recognize the role of warriors in recreating and perfecting the African world reality. Africans on the way to becoming Asafo and Jagnock must at least initially see themselves as recovering Europeans. Yes, we made choices, often bad ones, relative to our people's journey toward empowerment. And we must hold ourselves accountable for the outcomes of those choices. But we must also realize that most of, of if not all, of those choices were made within the, cons- the constraints of ignorance. Our objective is recovery. Recovery from the addictions of confusion Africans adopted in reaction to the onslaught of infectious European cultural imperatives. This objective must be accomplished while we remain empathetic in our self-criticism, always conscious of the surrounding chaotic insanity, always cognizant that the hardest habits to break are those to which you remain exposed. Regardless of how difficult and protracted the struggle, the unfailing goal of every aspiring African must be to strive with all our inner strength to provide the straight path to the African way in order to release our descendants from the hell on earth. There must be a constant self-evaluation to make sure that spirit, what we know, is truly in line with action, what we are actually doing to fulfill our mission and purpose for the community. Through thought, word, and deed must be one. Thought, word, and deed must be one. Ashe. Affirm, everything I do is helping with re-Africanization of my people. Affirm, everything that I do is helping with the re-Africanization of my people. Ashe, Ashe, Asheo. The Nyesesim of daily revolutionary thought. Um, just very quickly, I, thought, I just have so much, man, to, to try to throw at you. I really do. Uh, you know, even though I'm here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and of course, my objective is to put something on our minds. My objective is to help us understand the importance of independence, self determination, liberation, and sovereignty for African people. To help us understand that it is pan Africanism or we're going to perish. Either we unify or we're going to die. One person who understood the importance of African to be African, of course, was uh, Asa Hilliard. I mentioned Friday about the return to the source conference that they had at Atlanta University Center at the, at the library there in Atlanta, Atlanta University. Great program. Well done. Made proud. Think of the uh, director. Uh, Sister Loretta Parham and uh, Sister of Deafling Patsy Jo Hilliard bless her and her family I, I was sitting at the dinner table with them having having a good time you know and um, the activities of those two days uh, of course you know for me I, you know, I'm partial to Mama Marimba and her presentation but Sister Iva Carruthers, all of them, Dr. Joyce King. I miss Mario. I miss Mario Beatty. And I miss uh, Dr. Wade Nobles. And, uh, but I, like I said, I'm going to have him on the program. I'm definitely going to try hard to do that. And, you know, any of these brothers and sisters, you know, 
I, I think Marimba's been on twice in all these years. <laughs> but she doesn't do that, man. That's just how she is. And I love her. I love Mama Marimba. And some very good uh, uh, presenters and speakers. Definitely going to get Queen Thais. Because Queen Thais, you know, she has this homeschooling piece. In fact, she's at 400. Wow, man. So, anyway. Um, that was this past weekend. Uh, Thursday and Friday. And um, the Collard Green Festival. I'm not sure because my back is hurting. It's hurting now as I'm speaking. My, my back is, uh, I don't know. It's just been hurting like the lower portion of my back. I'm like, damn, what's up with this? Yeah, well, anyway. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, there's still an uh, issue that, well, the brother, Scotty Reed, who was with uh, Black Talk Radio and who we're on, you know, and when I talk about you know, um, um, Motherland Media with Typhoon Awakening and Black Talk Radio Network. Black Talk Radio Network is Scotty Reed. He got the big portion. He's the mini programs uh, uh, on his uh, platform. And, and of course, uh, Typhoon Awakening is on Scotty Reed's platform. And of course, uh, African Perspective is on Typhoon Awakening's platform, which is on. <laughs> which are all on tune in they're all on tune in but when the movie Woman King came out about the Dahomey and brother Scotty Reed you know went off about it because of the Dahomey's involvement in the African captivity now understand something you know me if you listen to this program I believe that you would know me. I tried desperately not to use the word slave. I hate it. I hate the word slave. And I know some will argue, Brother Oshi, that's just semantics. I don't give a damn. We should stop using the word slave. It's contained in in the consistent libations that I do. We were not slaves. We were captives. I maintain that a slave is somebody or something that submits its will to a master. We never submitted. We always resisted. We always fought. And so I wish particularly some of our uh, more conscious brothers and sisters and historical brothers and sisters would not use the word slave when talking about us. Yes, we were in captivity. You know. And um and some of our people uh, sold us into captivity. And that's an interesting piece there because, um, you know, that's the main thing that Europeans would throw at you. Well, your own people, you know. But the reality is that we didn't think of the African next door who was another cultural group. I hate to use the word tribes, too who's another cultural group you know it's just like the Europeans well I'm going to play home team we're going to do some home team stuff today uh, the young brother in home team yeah I love that young man he does a lot of good research and I've had him on the, uh, I haven't had him 
but I had what he does on this program many times because he does some good research, some good work. And so I'm going to uh, do some, uh, I'm going to p- play a few of them. The first one here is the one that deals with, uh, Yeah, this is the uh, Atlantic trade, the fallacy of us selling us to each other. And then, of course, um, uh, the Dahomey. I'm going to talk about them specifically because of the movie. And then uh, we're going to talk about um, uh, five reasons why. Well, for right now, let's check it out. Let's check this out. This is Brother Home Team. What up, African world? It's your boy, Home Team here. I'm back at it with another video of African history, culture, and worldview. And today we're going to talk about the Atlantic slave trade and the fallacy of blacks selling blacks. So I actually did this video a while back and I actually deleted it so that I can create a new one that was a little more in-depth. And a lot of people have actually been asking me to, you know, remake this video pretty much. And so here it is. So initially I thought I would never do a video on this because, you know, I already thought that, you know, people knew so much about the Atlantic slave trade. Boy, was I wrong. The historical perspective on this topic has literally been murdered and adulterated nearly in totality. Like, nobody has any idea what went down. And other people tend to take bits and pieces of information just to make a point and take it completely out of context. So of course, when people talk about this topic, they tend to say, well, you know, black people sold other black people, right? And so they leave feeling vindicated as if this statement is some sort of trump card. Okay, so the problem with this statement is that it's disingenuous to begin with. Here's why. You can't take a 20th century mindset and apply it to 16th and 17th century people. It simply doesn't work like that. There was no black power or pan-Africanism back then. Like, black people didn't become black until they came to the new world. They shared a similar culture. They shared a similar experience. And they began to speak the same language. That's when they became black people. For example, in Western Africa alone, there are thousands of different ethnic groups who speak a different language, have different cultures, and have completely different worldviews and religions. So why in the world would they view each other as the same when they don't even speak the same language? You know, I find it interesting that people are willing to accept the differences between Europeans and Asians, but when it comes to Africans, they all of a sudden want to paint one broad stroke and completely ignore the diversity. For example, when the Romans pretty much went into Northern Europe and were raping and pillaging the entire region, nobody ever then goes and looks at that history and says to themselves, wow, look at all these white people brutalizing other white people. The Romans even made slaves out of their Northern European counterparts, like the Germanic tribes, the people of Hispania, and the Celts themselves, AKA, other white people. Now, given that history, you'll never hear a soul say, wow, look at all these white people selling other white people into slavery. What a crime. 
Well, why don't you hear people say that? Well, because people understand and respect the historical differences and the historical perspectives and the diversity of that region and of those people. The Romans and the Greeks seem to have made it very clear that these pink-skinned northerners were not like us. Marcus Cicero, hailed by historians as one of Rome's greatest orators, had this to say about northern Europeans, specifically from Britain. It has been ascertained, too, that there is not a scrap of silver in this island, nor any booty, except from slaves. But I don't fancy you will find any literary or musical talents among them. Or let's take, for example, Strabo, one of the Western world's most adored Greek philosophers. He makes his opinion of Northern Europeans pretty clear. In reference to the natives of Northern Europe, he has this to say, and I quote, The home of men who are complete savages and lead a miserable existence because of the cold. And let's not forget the consistent barbarian narrative the Romans perpetuated about Northern Europeans. These mean-spirited quotes were a very common theme when it came to the opinion of Northern Europeans in general from their southern neighbors. And of course this was propaganda, but the point is that these Romans and Greeks clearly saw themselves as not only superior, but inherently different from the pink-skinned savages of the North. Thus, it justified Romans enslaving Northern European ethnic groups, a.k.a. white people selling and buying other white people. This, of course, from our 20th century mindset. But for some reason, when it comes to Western Africa, we all of a sudden develop amnesia and forget proper historical perspectives in favor of advancing the whole black-on-black crime narrative, if you will. How convenient. Well, why is this black-on-black crime narrative so convenient? Well, because nobody ever says white-on-white crime or Asian-on-Asian crime. It's a disingenuous, deflective argument to begin with. And it's very important that we understand that. You see, the truth is, all violence matters. So what is the underlying premise of this whole black people selling other black people idea? Well, people who use this adulterated logic are really trying to say, your people did this to themselves. We brought about this bad slavery thing. The problem, once again, is this 21st century or this 20th century blanket logic framework. That's the problem. The thing is, there was no we. It was always Fulani versus Mandinka, Songhai versus Maasai, Mbundu versus Bakongo. All these people saw themselves as inherently different just as much as the Romans saw the Celts and the Germans as other. So now that we're scholars now and we truly understand that we can't take a 20th and 21st century logic and apply it to 16th and 17th century people, let's really try and understand what actually happened. So let's talk about the nature of slavery in West Africa itself. No matter your 21st century morality level, which was in all likelihood attained via historical hindsight, slavery is not just slavery. In other words, there were different kinds of slavery throughout the world, and slavery in West Africa was overwhelmingly in the context 
of what some may alternatively describe as domestic servitude, in which slaves would work primarily in the house of the master and retain some freedoms. Domestic slaves in many cases would even be considered part of of their master's family. In some cases, even slaves had slaves themselves. The slaves could own the profits from their labor, whether in land or in products, and could marry and pass the land on to their children in many cases. To understand the nature of slavery in Africa, let's look at one of the longest-lasting empires in West African history, the Mali Empire. So what was their decree on slavery? Well, the Mali Empire, like most empires around the world, participated in slavery. They even had a constitution called the Korokan Foga that regulated it. The Korokan Foga declares the following. Do not ill-treat the slaves. We are the master of the slave, but not the bag he carries. So basically, this is a federal mandate of the Mali Empire and further proof of the humane treatment of slaves in West Africa. Testament to this humane treatment within Mali is the fact that Manza Sakura was actually a slave before he became king of the Mali Empire. That's pretty significant. So at bare minimum, this ideology of slavery was enforced throughout the empire from at least the 13th century all the way to the 17th century. So the question then becomes, how did you become a slave in West Africa? Well, there are two things. It depends on the socio-political atmosphere of the given region and your social status. For example, most people became slaves through warfare. The overwhelming majority of slaves were war captives between rivaling ethnic groups. And when you add religion in the mix, it gets even more complex. Take, for instance, the most renowned scholar of Timbuktu, the Songhai scholar Ahmed Baba. He pretty much helped us define who could legitimately enslave other people and who could legitimately be enslaved themselves within the Songhai Empire. The opinion of Ahmed Baba went on to shape the attitudes of Muslim West Africans on the legitimacy of enslavement and the permissibility of trading in slaves. He literally goes on to list a few ethnic groups he deemed as enslavable. Whoever now comes to you from the group called Maasai or Gurma or Busa or or Borgu or Dagamba or Kotokoli or Yoruba or Tonbogu or Bobo or Karmu, all of these are unbelievers remaining in their unbelief until now. And thus, their enslavement was legitimate. Now notice Ahmed Baba being the intelligent Songhai man that he was. Notice he didn't say some Songhai people can be enslaved. It's important, based on our discussion, that we realize how he completely left out his own ethnic group, which of course was the Songhai. As wicked as this may sound, it was clear that there were rules when it came to slavery and who can be enslaved. Let's go to another region to find out what slavery meant from their perspective. Let's look southward toward the Congo Empire. King Mvemba of the Congo became increasingly frustrated with the Portuguese because they were illegally 
acquiring slaves. And Themba literally wrote a letter to the Portuguese king saying, Each day the traitors are kidnapping our people, children of this country, sons of our nobles and vassals, even people of our own family. This corruption and depravity are so widespread that our land is entirely depopulated. We need in this kingdom only priests and school teachers and no merchandise unless it is wine and flour for mass. It is our wish that this kingdom not be a place for the trade or transport of slaves. Many of our subjects eagerly lust after Portuguese merchandise that your subjects have brought into our domains. After having taken these prisoners to the coast secretly or at night, as soon as the captives are in the hands of white men, they are branded with a red-hot iron. Now, the Congo Empire participated in slavery way before their interaction with the Portuguese, and at Portuguese requests for slaves, they would give them their war captives from different ethnic groups. King Mvemba had a problem because the Portuguese were illegally seizing Congo citizens. In other words, his own people. Thus, Mvemba obviously was not going to be complacent in that and shut it down. Ultimately, Alfonso, or King Mvemba, decided to establish a special committee to determine the legality of the enslavement of those who were being sold. Why? Because his own people were being caught up in it. This is pretty much how you became a slave in West and Central Africa. You were either a war captive from a rivaling ethnic group, you were a repeated offender, you committed a heinous criminal act, you were in debt, or simply both your parents died. The type of slavery that we are accustomed to here in the Americas is chattel slavery, which is the very worst type of slavery involving the dehumanization of people. So now the question becomes, why was slave trading so rampant in West and Central Africa? How did this all start? Well, Upper West Africa was a little more stable because they had huge empires started by the Soninka, Mandinka, and the Songhai. These were the empires of Wagadu, Mali, and Songhai. But after these empires fell, the region was totally destabilized, and ethnic groups were free to form their own hybrid kingdoms. These newly formed hybrid kingdoms thrived solely in the context of survival, leading to war and dysfunction throughout the region. Due to the domestic instability throughout the region, the arrival of foreign goods, services, and political prowess disembodied the many kingdoms present. Thus, a new culture developed, allowing for sustainability through slave trading. Slave trading boosted the economies of these kingdoms, while simultaneously devastating the future development and growth of the region. So, to further drive home this point, let's take a look at actual documented cases of enslaved Africans and how they actually came to be enslaved. And let's see if they were actually sold by their own people. Now again, I don't mean their own people from a 20th century broad paintbrush sense. 
I mean their own people from a proper historical perspective sense. Let's look at Ayuba Diallo, who was a Fulani man from Senegal. Ayuba came from a very prominent family in Senegal. Ironically, he and a friend were near the Gambia River to sell one of his Mande slaves and got captured by the Mandinka. The Mandinka shaved his head to make him look like a war captive, hence making it legal, and he was sold in Maryland. Ayuba eventually acquired his freedom because of his intelligence and his wit. Notice he wasn't kidnapped by the Fulani and sold into slavery by his own people. Why didn't the Fulani capture and sell other Fulani? Well, because that would have been stupid. Now let's take another African into consideration, Sarah Forbes Bonetta. Sarah was a real live African princess of the Yoruba people who was orphaned due to intertribal warfare and sold into slavery. In 1848, the Yoruba were attacked by the Fawn people from the kingdom of Daomi. Sarah lost her parents and became a slave to King Gezo of Daomi. In a remarkable twist of events, she was liberated from enslavement and became a goddaughter to Queen Victoria as she took an interest in her due to her exceptional intelligence. So with these two cases, what have we learned? Well, the majority of enslaved people came through warfare, specifically war captives, and they were enslaved due to rivaling ethnic groups vying for power. If we are to be genuine scholars, we will realize that these people were not sold into slavery or enslaved by their own people, but by people who obviously viewed them as other. So why do people persist on simplifying this complex social structure of West Africa? Well, because it's always been easy to disparage and disrespect the culture, the worldview, and the humanity of African people. Well, I'm all out, guys. If you guys want access to full-blown African history lessons, you can visit the link down below. It's called Patreon.com. You can support the home team and learn more about African history from a proper historical perspective. So far, I've done a lesson on the Wagadu Empire, the Mali Empire, and the Songa Empire. So support the home team and uh, know thyself. Remember your ancestors. Peace. Love that, brother. I really do. Yeah. Uh, coming up on a break. But the reason why I wanted to do this because of the the movie, and I saw a piece that Brother Mickey Dean, and Mickey Dean has been on this program many times. He is the International Affairs P- Chairperson of the National Black United Front and uh, part of the uh, MBUF chapter in Kansas City, which was one of the strongest chapters in Kansas City, which is one of the strongest chapters in MBUF, rather. And uh, Brother Mickey is just a solid man, just a good brother. And uh, so he put he threw this out there. And um, one of the things that we got to understand is that at that time, at that time, they didn't view themselves as African. One of the problems, of course, at that time to this time is we have to view ourselves as African. We're not, you know, Yoruba, Dahomey. 
We're Africans. We're not Ghanaians. We're not Americans. We're Africans. That's why I maintain that even black, there has we, we we're at a situation that is so dire. We need to make the distinction between being African, being black, or any other thing that we say or think that we are. If we are going to be a people again and to control our land, our resources, our education, our vocations, we must make this distinction. And we and there is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of urgency in this respect because why? The European world, which is crumbling around them, just uh, the the Italian Caucasian woman won the election and she is a disciple of Mussolini. The 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 fascists won and, and fascists barely won in France, you know, uh and fascism is on the rise has the has a program I did last week talking about fascism and Christian nationalism. These things are on the rise. And and it is not for us as Africans to fight against that. To hell with that. That is for these Caucasians to fight amongst themselves about that. Our thing is to fight for our minds. To fight for getting Africans on the continent. To understand. Just, just like Brother brother Paul, and you know I love Brother Paul. He's sending you a piece on these Africans who felt disrespected because they took a tour bus to the uh, Queens thing while other European in, in, in the United States, they had limousines. <laughs> they were put on a tour bus. <laughs> to have, see what I'm saying? We, we, are, we will always be disrespected by them. But yet we continue to beg for validation and respect from them. To hell with them. None of those brothers who are former, uh, uh, even now still neo-colonialists, should have been at that day. And if they were there, they should have had a ruckus. I'm glad her ass is dead. Be just like, <laughs> it's like the brother said, she didn't die hard enough. You know, dig her ass up. Man, shoot her. She didn't die hard enough. She didn't. She had an existence that helped maintain, sustain, and improve the condition of European, Caucasian extremism, racism, and privilege. That's what she did, you know? So I'm saying, brothers and sisters, we got to make sure that we understand. And I'm going to have a couple of other pieces I'm going to play after the break. Uh, The break today is um, Farrell Sanders. Farrell Sanders passed um, the other day. Of course, Farrell Sanders, um, you know, um, saxophonist and other wind instruments. It was the time of Coltrane and 
all those other brothers and sisters of that great jazz era. He was born October 13th, and he died September 24th, October 13th, 1940. And he was um, 81 years old. He was born in, where was he born at? Little Rock, Arkansas. And he died in L.A., 81 years old, you know tenor saxophone and other wind instruments he played <laughs> and he of course he played a lot with um, John Coltrane he's on the works with the Love Supreme and the creator has a master plan and as a result Sanders was considered to be a disciple of Coltrane in fact, uh, some have said Train was the father, Pharaoh was the son, and I am the Holy Ghost. <laughs> right on, Albert Yale. But um, so we're going to play a cut by um, Pharaoh Sanders, Freedom. Yeah. Yeah, freedom. That's what, as an African people, that's what we must have. That's what we must strive for. We've got to have freedom. We've got to have freedom, brothers and sisters. You know. And our minds must be right. So in honor of Pharaoh Sanders, I'm going to play this cut. We've got to have freedom from 2011. 11 years ago and this was recorded live I'm quite sure the song is older than that so brothers and sisters Farrell Sanders Thank you. 
Listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. Once again, brothers and sisters, you're listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on timeforanawakening.com and blacktalkradionetwork.com. Feral Sanders. Freedom. Feral Sanders. He passed away a couple of days ago at the age of 81. We're going to um, continue this conversation that we've been having about um, African in captivity and uh, utilizing uh, who I consider just a sharp young man uh, for the home team and uh, just does good research and I really do. I'm in support this. I would love to have him on my program to talk about what he's done and continues to do. Um, and of course, the movie Woman King with the the sisters, the Dahomey and sisters, who were then later called Amazons, great warriors that they were. But how the, you know, and, and like I said, um, brother who, uh, Scotty Reed, who is uh, <clears throat> Black Talk Radio Network, creator of, the creator of Black Talk Radio Network, and has just really lamblasted the movie because of ignoring this sad, empathetic truth of of um, being one of the main traitors with the Portuguese of our people, and even doing some just beheading some of our people, killing them. Yeah, just like when you, I don't know, uh, one of my favorite movies is Apocalypto with the Mayans at the time. And the ending is deep. But the but the Mayans would go to other areas of, of the, the land where there are small villages and raid the villages and then uh, rape the women or kill them or march them or definitely march the men to have them sacrificed to, to gods. They would cut off the head and the head would roll down them. One of those Mayan temples or Mayan pyramids. You know. Yeah. Check out Apocalypto. Great movie. It's, in, it's subtitled. So, you know, just prepare. But it, it, you you can easily follow along. It's just a great movie, man. In fact, um, Mel Gibson, I think, produced that movie. Apocalypto. So we're going to continue with uh, this is the piece that he deals with with the uh, Dahomey. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he had issues with trying to deal with it too, as he'll explain. And then we'll open up the lines for those who want to comment. I have to be honest. As a descendant of Afro-descended people, the kingdom of Daomi never really sat well with me. Upon first glance, Daomi just looked like a horror film to me, with depictions of their kings atop thrones with skulls below them, and the countless beheadings of Africans, men and women, seemingly for no other reason but projection of power. But as I forced myself to give it another look, I gotta say, Daomi has to be one of the most unique African kingdoms in West Africa, and I can't help but remain fascinated by them. What up, African world? It's Home Team here, and I'm back at it with another video of African history, culture, and worldview. And as always, if you want to support the Home Team, you can do so on Patreon.com. I have some new rewards for you guys, so be sure to check that out. Also, go to Afrographics.com, a website where you can find unique illustrative infographics summarizing African history. All links to Patreon, Afrographics, and Home Team merchandise are in the description box below. To begin, Daomi to some degree hasn't exactly gotten the fairest shake. Aside from the typical European degradation of Africans, Daomi does deserve some criticism, especially from the African diaspora, for their aggressive participation in the Atlantic slave trade. Here's the thing with Daomi. I wouldn't say they were drastically different from any other African group around. In fact, they literally did the same exact thing other Africans were doing in other regions. But what makes Daomi unique is that they simply took it to the next level. Their participation in the slave trade and interaction with being enslaved themselves nearly in totality defined the direction of their civilization. Now I know some in the diaspora would be vehemently opposed to me saying that, but I think we have to be honest. Daomi was a nation formed from the oppression of the Yoruba peoples, and because of this oppression and enslavement, they said never again. Thus, they became some of the most fierce people in the region. Let's start from the beginning. Daomi was a state in West Africa, in the region of modern-day Benin, that was founded by the ruling dynasty of the Fon or Aja peoples during the 17th century. The kingdom of Daomi began as a tributary state to the Yoruba kingdom of Oyo, and they certainly did not appreciate how they were being treated by the Yoruba. Daomi eventually broke away from Oyo, and for the most part, vowed to take revenge on the Yoruba, especially those located in modern-day Benin. Daomi came to be the most efficient African state in the region, and they set out to conquer the stateless and leaderless people who lived in the nearby plateau. Daomi became a highly centralized state with a very well-organized and disciplined military machine. All this greatness was created to never be under the yoke of oil again. In other words, Daomi was founded with a clear purpose, to become so powerful that they would never be enslaved again. And they committed a number of, let's just say, ambitious things to ensure this was the case. By the late 17th century, Daomi was in command of the coastal hinterland, which it raided at will to collect slaves. While the power of Europeans was becoming greater along the coast, other Aja kingdoms were going in decline as they refused to trade with them. Daomi, power-hungry as they were, 
saw this as an opportunity to become the primary power in the region. Also, their eagerness to trade with Europeans was kind of like sending a nasty letter to Oyo, if you catch my drift. To make things simple, the Daomans were low-key the Zulus of West Africa, as their rulers usually only rose to power via courage in battle and success in war. In other words, you had to show and prove yourself before you can rule Daomi. Now, this is not at all to say that other nations in Africa did not do this, but I'm simply saying that this was the very fabric of Daomen statehood and advancement. In a traditional sense, African kings who conquered other regions for the most part allowed self-governance, but not Daomi. Neither vassal kings nor separate laws were recognized. The king and his council of advisors dominated hereditary aristocrats. The primary thing that draws our attention to Daomi and the thing that has given them world fame was the power of women in that kingdom. The power that women exhibited in Daomi was unique in all of West Africa. Female officials across Daomi, known as Inyei, served in each province as the king's special envoys. They inspected male officials' work and reported any irregularities directly to the king. In other words, if you were a king and your region was conquered by Daomi, you more than likely had to answer to a woman concerning your dealings from time to time. This is incredibly unique to West African history because it speaks to the very origin of the Daomen state. Daomi was a state fashioned in crisis and warfare, and so every able-bodied soul was recruited to participate in the affairs of the state, no matter the gender. This is what draws our fascination to Daomi in the Western world, because this was so rare. If it wasn't for Daomi, Black Panther, in its most exhilarating form, would not exist. Because it was the state of Daomi that developed a special class of fierce female warriors called the Mino, literally meaning our mothers. To be honest, despite my weird relationship with Daomi, I can't resist my fascination with the Mino. Not only were these women recruited for warfare, but some of them even joined the army simply to protect their children from the Yoruba slave trading cavalry of Oyo. This only further proves my point that Daomi was the extreme resistance and response to oppression in that region. In a world where women are usually subservient or deferential to men, this marked an extraordinary development in human history. The British explorer Sir Richard Burton called these women warriors Amazons, which created the legend we know so well today, and the theme in Black Panther that we simply can't resist. The civil service of Daomi planned and managed the economy for the king. Farm production allowed for the support of all royalty, the elite, the urban craft population, the army, and a surplus cash crop for sale. During crop shortages, the government forced specific regions to produce more of it. The state collected income tax, custom duties, and road tolls to generate operating revenue, and this revenue, together with guns and ammunition, became the foundation for Daomen power, and more importantly, their freedom. Because without establishing this, the Daomans would simply become victims of a neighboring kingdom's slave raids. Before their independence, Oyo frequently raided Daomi and forced the Daomans to pay the Yoruba tribute in the form of an increased but tragic flow of slaves. But this is where my relationship with Daomi becomes very estranged. Now, most African kings participated heavily in the slave trade, 
but it would seem as though Daomi mastered it. In one vein, I sympathize with the collective plight of the Daomen state because of three things. Number one, the Daomans had to constantly give the state of Oyo slaves as tribute under their dominance. Number two, in order to gain weapons to compete with other kingdoms around them, they also had to supply the Europeans with slaves. And number three, in order to gain access to horses, they had to give the Hausa in northern Nigeria slaves. So literally, in nearly all areas of their national advancement, in order to exist and remain relevant, they had to be aggressive in the slave trade. Even though that's tough, the Daomans embraced it to its fullest. Their ultimate goal was power and territorial expansion. Now despite this horror, we still had to put it in its proper perspective. We often don't like to hear it, but for those Africans, the overwhelming majority of them thought of slavery completely different from how we do today. Slavery, for the most part, for them, was equivalent to what we know as European serfdom in their minds. Tradition demanded the adoption of loyal slaves into master's family, and it certainly was not uncommon to reward a former slave of land and freedom following the master's death. Descendants of slaves would even assimilate into society as members of one social class or another. Now that's certainly not to say that there weren't many slaves who were mistreated, but I'm trying to put it all in a context that simply cannot be ignored if we are to advance proper historical perspectives. Because oftentimes, Daomans are portrayed as bloodthirsty savages, especially because of their mass killings. And this is something I struggled to understand. Something that turned me off to Daomi completely. I can understand the occasional brutality of a state that takes over a region, but for the life of me, I could not understand Daomi and their harsh treatment of other human beings for no apparent reason. But upon closer examination, the mass killings of the Daomi state surprisingly has an explanation. Slavery was pivotal to their survival as mentioned before whether we like it or not. It advanced their economy and it protected their very existence. The mass killings has everything to do with the survival of their state when you put it in context. Here's how the horrific mass killings started in Daomi. Daomi gathered together large numbers of slaves at special coastal Bokan stations. Here, they waited for European slave ships that visited every month or so. European slave traders preferred to buy entire shiploads of slaves rather than buy slaves in lots from different ports. Europeans tried to give Daomen kings sufficient time to collect an entire shipload of slaves before actually coming to the port. Oftentimes, Europeans miscalculated how long it would take Daomans to gather a shipload of slaves. If European slave traders waited too long, then slaves at coastal Balkan stations exhausted local food supplies. And thus, Daomen kings devised massive ritual murders rather than watch slaves die of starvation. The kings unfortunately viewed these killings as humanitarian, and to justify these acts to their people, they claimed that such rituals were required to guarantee their continued strength, vitality, and courage to rule. In time, this became part of their tradition. On several occasions, European slave traders pulled in support to buy slaves from the Daomans, but soon witnessed to their horror 
the bloody ritual murders, not realizing that their demand for slaves helped to cause this. Now, if we can bear to squint our eyes and hold our hearts to look past the atrocities of Naomi, we would see it for what it is: one big, massive African irony. Because for Naomi, the need for defense against nearby slave raiding states, and the need to collaborate with Europeans and other Africans to guarantee the safety of their children, caused them to perpetuate. The very thing they were trying to avoid, its armies pushed out in all directions, trying to create buffer zones to safeguard their existence. I have no interest in providing any excuse for Naomi's willing participation in this horrifying history, but as I take a step back, I can't help but understand that the history of Naomi is a history of an extreme reaction to a chaotic environment. Whereas I had no sympathy for the formation of their state, I find myself willing to give an ear to their plight. But that's just me. Well, I'm all out, guys. Please let me know what your thoughts are concerning Naomi and whether or not it's worthy of a second look or a new perspective. If you like these videos and want to help out in its continued production, you can do so on Patreon.com. The link is in the description box below. Know thyself. Remember your ancestors. Peace. Like I said, love that young man, love that brother. That's deep, ain't it? So that's the movie, but it doesn't show that particular part. I'm anxious to see. It. I haven't saw it. I will see it. You know. Um, but every time I keep thinking about the reasons why we are in this situation, is because we like unity, just like. They talk about Africa today in the 54 different sovereign countries. No, they're not. Many of those countries are neocolonialists, despots, foolishness, hunger, disease. We need Pan-Africanism. We've been talking about it since the first country was finally liberated from Europe, from England, Ghana. Kwame Nkrumah said it. It's not about Ghana or Nigeria or Sierra Leone or Botswana. I could go on. It is about the African continent understanding that we are African first. And we need to operate in that fashion. We could be world players instead of the pawns that we are because of us being divided, being fragmented. The Dahomey felt they had to do what they had to do because of what happened to them by the Yoruba or the Oye. They had to. I tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, it is 
the only solution for us as a people, the only. I'm gonna take a couple of calls because I, I I got another piece to play, and so I'm gonna take some calls. Good afternoon, brother Wes. Hey, Yuhuru, my brother. Yuhuru, how you doing, hey. man? Uh man, just trying to figure out this what or just just perplexing we in, and uh, the main thing is the whole thing sad. Black people killing black people. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Well, that's this, just, that's just uh, well, it's 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 been now systemic and historic because we do it here. Nobody kills themselves the way we do anywhere in the world. There are no other people that in, that engage in fratricide like we do. You know, and it's so yes, pathetic and so sad. And see, and see what what got me. See, you got to look at the time and how all this stuff. It, that movie come out with the same time as that that Devil Queen uh, went to hell in London, man. So mm-hmm. this ain't no coincidence that movie come out. What 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 I have? Oh, see, what, what the saddest thing I heard? What these Negro kings and queens at Afghanistan, y'all call it Africa, went over there to that devil funeral. Yeah. And then I heard I heard they put them all on the bus, man. Yeah, I, I mentioned I, that. I, I, I mentioned that. Okay, I mentioned. Yeah. You missed that? I, yeah, I mentioned I mean, that. It, totally disrespectful. Yeah. You know, where, yeah, where, mean, where, where, the, the, where the Europeans got limousines and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> and see, oh shit, my point is, if they wasn't going over there to tell them folks to give us our shit back, mm-hmm. they shouldn't even went over there. Man. I agree. That's what I, I agree. They should have just said, we ain't going to that bitch funeral. We want our stuff back. If they would have went over there like that, all we got to do is come together, all the, uh, the people... Uh, that's got a copper color people on the planet say we want our shit back right now. All right, yeah. that's all. I mean, you, uh, we are not we finna start. I, I wish one, 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 somebody went up there and snatched all that stuff off that they had all them jewels and them crowns and that damn magic wand and that damn oil, whatever <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but anyway, man. It's I, just, just, uh, this, I wish I know what Scott is saying, man, because me, I ain't going to see the movie, man. I can't stand no black people killing black people, man. I ain't with it, man. Yeah. And no woman yeah. can't, be, can't be no king, woman, or queen, man. Yeah. Just look at the chessboard. Okay, the chessboard is the queen makes the moves with, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to keep the king together, man. And all this killing, some sister killing black folks and all that, that's some, that's some more brainwashing, man. Well, you know... The, it happened, you know. Yeah, I know. You know so it happened. Yeah, but it, I don't. it happened, and and we need to no, look so at it in, in historical context and and explain why it doesn't, why it should never happen again, and what are we going to do now that we know, and can we look at this historically and to say the reason why we are in this god awful mess today is because we never understood what we should have done years ago. Mm-hmm. You decades, yes, like that, like that picture I saw. I said, "With it, with, uh, the brothers standing there on their land, and them three boats roll up on them. They mm-hmm. should have killed them fuckers soon they showed up, man." Oh, yeah, and, and apocalypto. Yeah, I don't care if the black people on the boat showing I, that devil how to get over here. I, I, they should have sunk the whole boat and yeah. killed everybody on that damn yeah. boat, man. But because they'd never seen it, they were awestruck. And, 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 mm-hmm. and, and in that part of the movie, I said, 
man, you should you should kill these folks right now. Have their right because the, right. the big ship that was way out there, then it took a two two or three smaller boats as they were coming upon the shore. And I'm saying, mm-hmm. man, this is your demise. This is the end yep. of y'all. Just like it was the end, like it has been the end of us. Not physically, mm-hmm. but the end of us mentally. We haven't yep. been right. You know, I mean, to me, the only time that we have been right is when uh, Europe was at bay, Arabs were still in the so-called Middle East and not in North Africa. You know, that's mm-hmm. the only time. Yeah, we probably had that's a lot right. of conflicts, a lot of things that were uh, that were happening, unfortunately. True. But at least we weren't a conquered people. At least we were not in mental, physical, spiritual captivity, you know, like we are, mm-hmm. like we have been. At least a, a religion, either Islam or Christianity was not imposed upon us to our detriment. Did right. not speak to us culturally. You know? At yes. least. Yes, so, I mean, we are most spiritual, man. We know yes. how to deal with nature and the, uh, the real uh, law of physics, man. That's yeah. God. Yeah. Because we the gods that we've been looking for, man. Yes, we are, brother. Yes, we well, are. Anyway, I let somebody talk. All right, brother really West. Appreciate you, man. I like to listen more that. But my man was right about that food, man, the other day. Uh, uh, 2215 the spell got broke when they broke that damn magic wand when they set that devil to hell. So the yeah. spell is over, y'all. Yeah, the the, the wand. You're right. All right, yeah. my brother. Peace to you. Yes, okay. sir. Keep your fist ball up. All right, brother. Peace, what, brother West. Uh, yeah, brother. Um, Vicky Dean sent this, and really good piece he wrote on it, and uh, have a lot of respect and love for him. As he says, first of all, as I've said many, many times before, Hollywood movies are made primarily for two purposes, to make money and to entertain. I don't know how well the movie is doing from what I heard. Uh, from what I heard, the movie's not doing well, but then I heard otherwise. I think the movie's doing fine. I heard it had a reasonable good opening day. If the movie made money, you saw it and you were entertained, or inspired in some way, then the movie served its purpose. I have also stated many, many times before, we cannot use Hollywood movies as a substitute for researching and studying our history. Movies such as The Woman King always use terms like based on true uh, events or something like that. This means that the movie makers will take whatever artistic licensing that is necessary to make an entertaining movie that will sell tickets. Artistically, it's like when when I hear that, what reminds me of Spike Lee, Malcolm X, using artistic licensing to, you know, something drumming up. Yeah. This movie is historically inaccurate. This is to be expected, especially since movies were written 
and produced by a Caucasian female. I repeat, they know this, that the movie was written and produced by a Caucasian female. But I see no reason to call for boycotts for the movie and other dramatic actions. This movie does what Hollywood movies do and were made to do, you know. And there's other movies coming out. But um, like I said, I I appreciate what Mickey Dean has, has put out here. And um, I definitely want to see this movie. But but more importantly, why I played I mean, good that good young man from the home team who gave a good historical analysis and perspective on it. Because that's what the deal is. Uh 334, 334, good afternoon, Brother Lusk. How good, you good, doing? After, good afternoon, Brother Oshi. I am so glad you said what you just said because of the fact that it appears as though the modern-day way of learning things is to try to streamline through stuff yeah, and just absorb it so much so. But that's, that's what it is. That's, it's, mm-hmm. Wait, hold up for a second. Wait a second. Now, did you really, really look into what had transpired? Now, and, and, and so folks are going to the movies, getting their, um, what do you call this, this little self-induced kind of charge and coming out of there saying, getting this good feeling, this good right. vibe, and, and then getting sucked up psychologically into a lot of unnecessary stuff, mm-hmm. so much so that they think that this is the truth. Right. No doubt. I'm just so glad you just said what you said, man. All right. You know, that's what I'm trying. That's why I'm here, brother. I try my best to enlighten our people to make sure they keep the proper perspective and make sure they understand historically, historically what happened, you know, based upon our history, our history, you know, not what. Europeans have said, not what other people have said outside of, not what other so-called experts have said, but definitely not what Hollywood has said, you know, because oh. <laughs> just like Brother Mickey Dean said, they're in, they're in the business to make money and entertain. If you wouldn't sell, you gave them the money, and then if you felt good about it, then you were entertained, but the bottom line is, please don't use that as something that is historically accurate and is really history, because it is not, you know, but the... Go ahead. Yeah, one other little quick point. Um, did um, uh, Mama um, uh, Carruthers have any handouts uh, uh, during her presentation at Georgia State? No. No, unfortunately, okay. there, there weren't uh, all the presentations. There were nothing that was distributed except for the program. And uh, they, mostly all of them had PowerPoints. They were all good. All of them, okay. they were all good. And um, yeah. And, and, and of course, I know I'm 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 prejudiced. Uh, Mama Marimba was mad. She was, and unfortunately for Mama Marimba, she couldn't really go through because it was running through uh, running up against time. Because she had right, to right. move fast through that. But that is a a outstanding presentation in honor of um, Baba Asa Hilliard. Nana. Okay. And and and, and in fact, she put it where it needs to belong. And because Baba Asa said it too, there's an urgency. You know, a couple of the presenters talked about urgency. And, you know, I talk about urgency on this program all the time. That's why I'm here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, because this is serious business. This is urgent. 
that we begin to make these transfer to transformations, mind changes and so forth, move in a more uh, uh, better direction, move in a more holistic direction, move in a direction that we become who we are and should be as a people, not not some assimilated group, not some happy-go-lucky Negroes. No, we're African people. That's why I'm saying as a point of urgency, we probably need, we probably need to, do, to, to draw a line, said, if you want to be black, you stay over here. You want to be African? Because that's the question that is asked, to be African. It's just okay. like, you know, uh, quote Shakespeare, who some believe was never real anyway, but to be or not to be, that is the question. To be African or not to be, that is the question. We are an African people. Because, you know, Dr. Clark said, when you talk about a people, it was land, history, and culture. Land, history, and culture. When you talk about a people, there ain't no black land. Now they call Kemet the land of the blacks or the black land because of, and they call it the black land because of the, uh, the black earth that settles along the banks of the Nile once the rivers recede because it moves that 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 dirt and that soil and rich silt. And then it, and then once the rivers receded, it has this black you know earth which is very good for for planting the crops, which they so desperately need. You know. But the bottom line is is that we must look at our situation globally. Our situation globally is so goddamn, excuse me, so pathetic and so detrimental, you know, that uh, we must do something now, you know. Yeah, Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure to listen and learn, brother. It's always Mm. a pleasure to listen and learn. Well, man, thank you. Sante Sana. I love that brother. It's brother Ted Lusk. Uh, let me get a couple others. Uh, 215. 215. 215. Good afternoon. Baba Oshi, peace and blessings unto you. Hey, Brother T, peace and blessings to you too, dear brother. How you doing today, man? And all of those people who like to research and find out for themselves, I give them big ups. But yeah. one thing I tell people is I might be ugly, but I ain't stupid. <laughs> when, you, when you come to me and you try to offer up excuses, I don't buy. I don't have to explain to anyone about slave trading done in Africa. Mm. That's like me leaving my keys in my car and you steal it and you say, "Well, mm. you shouldn't have left mm. the keys in your car." Yeah, yeah. They better not ever. And when people argue with me about stuff they didn't know, I said, "Unless you research, I can't have a conversation with you because yeah. it's like talking to a box of rocks." Yeah. I will never yeah. get anywhere talking with you because most of their opinions aren't backed by anything but just that in right. opinion. And also, too, man, how did where did they get the information from? Entertainment, from the news, so forth. They don't do any in-depth, any in-depth research. That's why I really enjoyed the conference this past uh, uh, Thursday and Friday this past week because of the in-depth research that those uh, African scholars did. You know, and I, I mean, there's some people that I already know, you know, Brother Greg Kamathi Carr at Howard, uh, Dr. Mario Beatty at Howard, Dr. Marimba Ani, Dr. Joyce King. These are serious African scholars, Dr. Ife Carruthers. These are serious African scholars, you know, and they do the work. They do the, the primary research. They do the serious research, 
You know, that's just like Renoko. Well, Renoko was a primary researcher, like uh, brother uh, Professor Panua Pim and many others. They they go there physically. They they just don't maybe uh, go online to Google. Let me just well, let me Google it. Because I don't know about you, dear brother, when I've done some research and looked at Google, I'm saying Google maintains the, the European line. They ain't giving you no alternatives. This is their line, you know. But go ahead, brother. You were well, going to say. Well, well, as I told you a while ago, I don't use Google. I use Brave Research. Google is designed to lead you away from information. Whatever their inception was has been trash. They mm-hmm. are controlled. They're government shields, just mm-hmm. like all these other people. And most people I tell, you want to research, you have to go to the journals of those people who have went to those places. You go to some place mm-hmm. called jstor.com. It has the say, journal. Say, say it again. Medical, jstor.com. Oh. J-Store. J-S-T-O-R. Yes. J-Store. All of the, the journals and all this other stuff okay. that people can find the information. Outstanding. From. Okay. And, uh, and also, what people need to do is bookmark these things yeah. that I tell them. Exactly. And That's also, what I'm about to do. <laughs> it's bookmark. And, and, about, and about Brother West, like he said, he did that research. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add something else to it. AstraZene. AstraZene, they've been working on that for a while. Mm. What they did was they put two frogs in a tank in water and treated that water with astrazine. Two male frogs became homosexuals. Mm. So they've been put that in the water mm. for quite some time and you can look that up. That explains this burst of confusion. Mm-hmm. And so I mean and, I don't know I don't know, Brother T, if you listen to the beginning of the program, I read uh, the Inye Saysim by Baba Barudi. And 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 today that's what the topic was. You know, talking about, you know, uh, the Greeks and the Romans who had been pushing in homosexuality. And in the Inye Seisim, it said that um, homosexuals are more enlightened than heterosexuals because we're in tune, uh, because they're in tune to their male and female sides of their, you know, psyche, you know. (laughs) But yet we're the most spiritual African people are the most spiritual people on this planet because we're the first people on this planet, you know? Yeah. And I, and I heard you, I heard you. I'm just here to back up what you say. And for people who don't know the terms and what to look for, I'll just lead them to it. And it's up to them to right. decide if it's right or wrong. So when I send information to people I know, most of the time I'm a Republican. I can't send anything to anybody because people's minds are so closed. I'd have to put it on Facebook mm. or, or give them a bag, a Gucci bag, and then give them the paperwork. <laughs> then they might read it. Yeah. But other than that, everyone else is stuck in their own way, and they want to listen to the person that don't look like them at all, yeah. like that rat face Fauci who's killed so many people. And I just mm. had an argument with him. I said, I'm telling you something. I'm certified. I work. I have infectious disease certification. I'm telling you what I know. I work with OSHA, and I'm telling you this about med. They're like, I don't know, because yeah. uh, you know he's a doctor. He's not a yeah. freaking doctor. He's got four years of uh, of medical service. The rest, he's a pharmaceutical shill. Yeah. I don't even want to call him a doctor. I have other names for him, but I'm not going to use it. But when I type <laughs> to people, I use those names. Yeah. You yeah. know, so um, people will have to just trust in 
real information, tangible evidence and things that open up their eyes, but they don't want to do it yeah. because they're getting something from these same people. Right. And I'm a clue right. on this. Yeah. Don't come up to me now. Now you want to give me all these movies about Africans and all this stuff, boosting Africans up. It's a little too late. The country's falling. Their run is over, and now you want to try to make me feel good to join in your plight and then go to hell with you? No, no hell way. with you. No way. I hear you, brother. Right on, God brother bless T. You. Thank you, you too. all the callers. Have a good day. You too, brother T. Peace. Oh, 347, 347. Good afternoon. Yeah, OG, what's happening, man? Man, where you been, dude? How you doing? You doing okay? I've been... I've been I've been a little, I've been a little busy, and I think one day you wasn't on. Okay. You had your man Boogie Woogie Jones sitting in, and I didn't want to subject myself. No, to I was that on way. Me, me, <laughs> me and him were on together. You it was a good, it was a good program. It was a good program. Um, and the other day, I think I had a meeting or something, man. But, That's okay. Um, but I just, you like know, I said I ain't heard um, from you in a while. Yeah. yeah, man, I, 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 I got you. I missed your call this morning, but you know, I'm, I'm one of those Negroes that try to sleep as late as possible. <laughs> you know, I ain't got to go punch no clock. What the I hell am I getting up for? I hear if you. I don't need to, you I know hear. what I mean? No, I got but, you, brother. Um, huh? I, no, I got you. I, I feel you. I understand. Yeah, man. You know, a, a white man done got me getting up. Five o'clock, four o'clock, and all that. Many, many years ago, shoot, I'm trying to go to sleep at that time now. Yeah. But, but, but listen, I, I was really um, calling to see how you was doing, number one. And um, I was talking with a brother the other day, and the brother was talking about, you know, what's the problem with the Negro? And I was trying to explain to him there's three big problems that the Negro is facing that he doesn't want to address and he really doesn't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. It's his love for the white man. It's his lack of understanding of culture. And it's these no good, stinking, filthy, so-called black leaders that do nothing but sell us out constantly for who gained a damn sure ain't really theirs because in the end they don't really get anything in return for the investment that they place in destroying African people. It's like the same thing with, you know, your brother earlier was talking about the so-called African selling blacks into slavery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, whenever they start talking that nonsense, man, it's much deeper than that. You know what I mean? I always tell them, read more in regards to that matter, and you'll understand that it was a form of trade that evolved into the wicked tree that it became because of the no good, filthy, stinking white man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are never going to get our true history or understand our culture from a goddamn movie right. that white people produce. It's just not going to happen. So the woman king and all of that, 
to me, it's it's just pure entertainment. It's a waste of time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a real serious thinker and scholar, what you do is mm-hmm. you look at the subject matter and then you do the necessary research to find out the truth about it. Right. And when you do, there's a whole different perspective. Yes, it is. It that's is. being thrown at your dumb ass. Mm-hmm. But because most of us don't do that or have the ability to do it, we get caught up in this fractionization and fantasy of what the white man give us and what these no good, filthy, stinking Negroes present to us. Mm-hmm. And we accept it because we think that they're our friends and they're our backers and they're our so-called elite, just mm-hmm. like with these politicians mm-hmm. who basically F over you every chance you get. Now, mind you, I knew for the last 30, 40 years that black leadership wasn't shit. Mm-hmm. And I'll go and I'll say that about all of them. I'll say that about the Jesses. I'll say that about the Al's. I'll say that about the Farrakhan's. I'll say that about them all. You know why? Because I firsthand witnessed what they did to Sister Soldier right. with Bill Clinton. And from yeah. that action alone, I pegged every last one of them. And over the 30-some years since that happened, or longer than that, to the fact that black leadership ain't shit. Yeah. And because if they was really about something, why are we in the position that we in today? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, ask yourself this. Are all of those individuals not rich individuals? Are all of those individuals not living well beyond the means of everyday black folks? Of course. Of course what they are. They produce, what have they produced that's everlasting to the growth and development of one key thing? Sovereignty yeah. of African people. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's an assessment that the average Negro can't even comprehend yeah. or won't even deal with or won't even accept. Now, those of us who know think it's a little harsh. But it's the truth. Yeah. You can't tell me where I'm wrong about it. No. But and it... I say that for all of these so-called black black leaders. A prime example, and I could use it as a template for it all, is the Negro that just sold your black asses out, Jim Claiborne. Yeah. He, he's a prime example. Well, listen, I got, I got another... Rich. I got another call I want to get this in before Jay, the time Jay, lapse. Jay, good to hear from you, man. Just hold on, brother Jay. Thank you, man. Uh, Hylia Gardens, Florida. Good afternoon. Hylia Garden. Alpha. Good afternoon. Oh, you just want to listen. Okay, well. That's cool too. We're, we're, we're up on time anyway. Just wanted to get another call in before we close the show. Close the show. Close the program. I never refer to this as a show. I always refer to this as a program because it's, you know, it's 
But anyway, family, um, I, I definitely wanted to play that other piece of on home team to help us get an understanding of why are we in the situation that we're in. I may play it on Wednesday as a continuation because we need to know and we need to discuss. You know, uh, there is and must be a sense of urgency about correcting this. We don't have the time. We don't have the time. Just as Brother Jay had mentioned, the those old head Negroes who have sold us out who are doing good and there's some young folks following right behind them to continue the sellout. Our, our existence is tenuous. It really is. Okay, let me. Good afternoon. Hylia Gardens. Alfred Defense. Good afternoon. Well, all right, brothers and sisters, we end this program like we end all of our programs with the words of Stephen Biko. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the minds of the oppressed. This program is dedicated and committed to helping to free the African mind. But not just the M-I-N-D, but the M-I-N-E, because under the feet of African people, lies all of the resources that everybody wants, think they can't do without, and they sure in hell don't want to pay for. Brothers and sisters, you have a blessed and wonderful day. Shem Hotel means go in peace. Esante Sana means thank you. Bifahorie means our victorious destiny. Brothers and sisters, we will, if we have the will, be victorious. Peace, family. Have a blessed and wonderful day.